Welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. It is a beautiful day in Columbus, Georgia to worship God. I know as we inch into the fall, we are looking for some relief from our heat-soaked lives. And in the same way, I invite you to open yourself to the refreshing and renewing power of God's Holy Spirit. We're glad you're here. Come on in. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 12 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson is taken from 1 Timothy. This is Paul's letter to Timothy directly. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. We are 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind. Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you remember the radio host storyteller Paul Harvey, he told a story about a three-year-old boy who went to the grocery store with his mother. Before they entered, she had given him certain instructions as all of us have done that have taken young children into the grocery store. Now you're not going to get any chocolate chip cookies, so don't even ask. She put him in the child's seat and off they went down the aisles. He was doing just fine until they came to the cookie section. Seeing the chocolate chip cookies, he said, Mom, can I have some chocolate chip cookies? Mom says, I told you, don't even ask. You're not going to get any at all. They continued down the aisles, but as fate would have it, they had to go back through the cookie aisle again. Mom, can I please have some more chocolate chip cookies? She said, I told you, you can't have any. Now sit down and be quiet. Finally, they arrived at the checkout. 
The boy now starting to realize he's running out of space and time. All of the lines full. This was his last moment. He stood up on his seat and shouted in his loudest voice, In the name of Jesus, may I have some chocolate chip cookies? Everyone in the checkout lanes laughed and applauded. Do you think the little boy got his cookies? You bet. The other shoppers, moved by his daring proclamation, pooled their resources, and the little boy and his mother left with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies that day. Now that is persistent prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, want a cookie! We pray like that sometimes, don't we? In God's name, can please just this happen or just that happen? Today we are talking about prayer, and I know we can glaze over when we hear about prayer because we talk about prayer a lot because it's that important. It's at the core of our Christian journey, and I think we don't do it as well as we should, and we're robbing ourselves of what comes from that relational contact through Christ to God. But before we get there, let's look at our passage for today. So this is the first letter of Paul to Timothy. So this is at the end of Paul's ministry and life, and he is writing to one of his mentees, this young buck pastor coming up at the church of Ephesus, where Timothy has and is just taking over. And First and Second Timothy and Titus, all three right here together in the Bible. Excuse me, these are called the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters that Paul writes. What does pastoral mean? Pastor is just a Latin word for shepherd. Although I claim, as I heard another pastor say, we're not the shepherd. There's only one shepherd, and that's Christ. At best, we are sheepdogs as ministers and reverends. It's a better image. However, pastor, still pastoral letter means how Paul is educating Timothy and granting, giving him wisdom about how to run that church. It is practical in nature. Paul is, will talk about bishops and elders and deacons, things that we have now. He'll talk about some specific ways that the church should be organized. In our Presbyterian church, we have the book of order. It is an exciting cover-to-cover -cover read, friends. But we know Paul's Presbyterian because he starts decently in an order here and starts the book of order in 1 Timothy. So again, imparting on this young pastor who's in charge at Ephesus, as he is getting ready to go, what is the wisdom that he gives him first? Let's look at our passage. So all of chapter 1, it is greeting, it is speculation, not speculation, it is speculating on the important things of their initial conversation. I'm grateful to Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Paul talking about it. We know that the law is good. Paul talks about that too, gets into more detail. 
and says, I am giving you these instructions, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies made earlier, so that following them, you may fight the good fight. And then we get to chapter 2, where he starts, and the very first thing Paul says is, first of all, so what's the very first thing Paul tells his subject? I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made. And for who? For everyone. Oh boy. Well, let's, let's take that first part first. So this is about prayer, this focus. And he gives us specific categories in which we should pray. Because I know sometimes prayer is hard, like any other discipline, like any other thing that we do on a regular basis, we have to build, we have to flex those muscles, we have to train, we have to work at it. Paul gives us, as he is telling Timothy, these categories. First, supplication. What, what does that mean? Those are things on our hearts as the prayer. As we're lifting up prayers to God, supplications are the things that are on our hearts. And I think Paul is wise enough to know that before we can get into any more depth of prayer or relationship with Christ, we have things that are weighing on us that need to be attended to first. So Paul says, lift them up. Lift them up to God first. It's not unlike our our missionary friend, Ben Mathis, who came a couple of times before he retired through our mission partner, Mission Hope. They would travel and to every nook and cranny in the world and go to jungles where the word of Christ had not been proclaimed or taught or reinforced. And when they got there, what was the first thing they did? They didn't sit down and give them a sermon. They said, what do you need? Are you hungry? We'll work on food. Are you sick? We'll work on medicine. Are you, do you have a home? We can work on housing. Why? Because it's often pointless to speak to folks who are living in crisis until you alleviate that crisis. And then they will be in a place to then listen about this Jesus you're coming to talk about. And it's kind of the same way when we are overcome and there are things on our hearts and minds, either for ourselves specifically or those that we love or things in the world that are weighing on us, we need to get that out first, lift it up, and then we can sink down a little bit more. Supplications, that is you and me praying for what's heavy on us, what we want to talk to God about first. Then intercessions. Those are prayers for others. So often the things on our hearts can transfer, can move from supplication into intercession because often the things on our hearts are because of other people or things going on in our family, friendship groups, neighborhood, church, town, country, world. We are called to pray for others. We do this every Sunday when we do our prayers of the people after the sermon. We lift up broad categories of people that we know need God's help, attention, healing, guidance, all of that. Intercessions are 
for others. And so that's when we take the time to move from inward to outward. Not unlike our Sunday morning worship, we come together, we pray, we study, we fellowship, but then we're called to take that out into the world. We start with our own hearts and then we move out. Same thing in this progression of prayer. And third, thanksgivings. This is the one sometimes I know I'm guilty about not giving as much attention to as the crises in my life are the thanksgivings. We are so blessed, every one of us, everyone on this planet is blessed because they were created by God and a part of God's family. We are brothers and sisters with all on this planet. Why? Because God created us all. We are to give thanks to God in this time for all that we've been given, past, present, future. In a theological sense, yes, the gift of Christ is how we know God loves us, past, present, future. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the way that we know that God loves us and wants an intimate relationship with us. God walks with us every day and seeks to dwell in our hearts when we allow. But think about even more concrete, the thanksgivings in your life. Often, just like any group you're a part of, Anything in your life, it's the negative that often gets the most attention because we need help fixing that thing or helping that person or that situation and that crisis. And that those things are natural. You need to fix things in people who are hurting and focus on that, absolutely. But the flip coin of that is to be completely aware of what we are thankful for. You can make that list every year at Thanksgiving. We talk about making a list of things you're thankful for. Do you have that tradition at your family gatherings that you go around, everybody says something they're thankful for? Well, that needs to be more than just a Thanksgiving dinner exercise. Nothing in your life will ever be 100% perfect. Your health, your mind, your spirit, your body, your relationships, those around you, your house, your neighborhood, your apartment, the world will never be perfect. But we need to remember to give thanks to God for the things that we are truly grateful for. John Buchanan, who is a Presbyterian minister, now retired uh, from 4th Presbyterian in Chicago, was the editor of the Christian Century Magazine for 15 odd years, prior moderator of the Presbyterian Church, he talked about an encounter with a Russian cellist named Mitislav Rostropovich. That's what I'm going to say his name is. Buchanan admired Rostropovich's courage. This was in the 1970s. He expressed his support, this cellist, for artistic freedom and human rights in a letter to Pravda, the state-run newspaper in the Soviet Union. In response, the Soviets stripped him and his wife of citizenship. So Buchanan saw Rostropovich play a cello concerto in Chicago. And as the last note faded, the audience sat mesmerized. Rostropovich did an extraordinary thing. He stood up and kissed his cello. The audience erupted. 
Then he got up and hugged and kissed the surprise conductor. I want everybody to do that to Tom Choir. Then he hugged and kissed the entire cello section before moving on to the violins. He hugged and kissed most of the orchestra to show his gratitude, his thanksgiving for what he was just blessed to be a part of. What if we could pray for our thanksgivings like that? For the things that we have, we need to be thankful and pray to God and thank God for those things. And then these prayers are to be made for who again? The Jews, the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles, the Romans. Assyrians, Babylonians. Everybody in Judea, Israel, Mesopotamia, surrounding areas, Mediterranean Sea. Everyone. This is crazy talk from Paul. These prayers need to be made from, for everyone. He goes on to say, for kings and all who were in high places. Now think about what that means that Paul would say, you need to be praying for the Caesars and the emperors who occupy your city, who kill your countrymen and women, who exploit you financially and in every way, and who have taken over the city you live in. You need to pray for them. Why? The next line says, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. We may live a peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. Now, that peaceable life doesn't mean we are to go home and live passive life in our homes, hoping that nothing destroys our comfort. To live in godliness means that we are going out into the world, into an environment that is largely shaped by the politics of who? The people who govern us. And so you're not necessarily praying for their general well-being and their happiness in life, but you are praying that they will make sound judgments so that the environment created in your city and town and state and world will be conducive to living your life as a Christian in the world. So your homework this week is to do this. If you are a Republican, I want you to pray by name for Joe Biden, his administration, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and others. If you are a Democrat, I want you to play, pray for Mitch McConnell, McCarthy, others that you know, and go to past administrations that still wield influence on current politics. Why? Because they shape the environment in which we are called to be Christians. And we want them to listen to God's voice. We want them to be convicted, not to abuse their positions, not to abuse their people, not to wield their power in ungodly ways. I want you to think of those people in your life who make you mad. Big and small ways we are to pray for our enemies. Paul uses the word everyone and uses all several times in this passage. You can't do that at one time. That'll take a long time to pray for everyone. 
But think about those people who annoy you on one end of the spectrum to who you cannot stand or who have even been harmful to you. Maybe that last one takes a little more preparation and time. But the purpose of this prayer is not just that you hope that they will change, but in the process of prayer, we are transformed because we are spending time with God. God is not a genie in the lamp to be rubbed and we loft out what we want and hope those lottery tickets come. Come on, God. That's prayer life when we get up around a billion. Come on, Lord, I'll do some good stuff with that money. You know I will. It's all for you. But in the process, prayer is being in the presence of God and spending time in the presence of God. If you want a dialogue, think about it this way. God speaks to you through scripture. You speak back to God through prayer. God speaks to you in your life when we have eyes of faith to see. That song we hear on the radio, that book that we read, that TV show or movie we see, the encounter with friends or strangers, with people in our world, the events we are a part of, God is speaking to us. And it's our time to speak back and reciprocate in prayer. Prayer changes our hearts and lives. And especially when we pray for those who might be in the enemy category, One commentator says, to pray like this lessens the space for hubris in our own hearts, that self-centered conceit. To pray like this lessens the space for hubris in the heart of the one who prays and widens its capacity for humility. So when we are praying for others, it's harder to hate them. Although I know we can pray halfway and maintain that wall. But the more we pray for others, the more we are letting God transform us. So friends, let's take the word of Paul. First of all, Paul says to his protege, Timothy, pastor at Ephesus, pray your supplications for yourself, lift them up. Pray other prayers of intercession and thanksgiving for the kings and all those who wield power, that they would do it justly so that the environment is ripe for us to be Christians and live our lives spreading the word of God. And know that prayer with God is that time. When we are to come together, it's the way that we become more than just surface Christians. I close with this. There's a powerful scene in the movie, The Godfather, and I can't do my Don Corleone because he doesn't speak in this, but I don't need to. Don Corleone is forced to visit the distinguished Cardinal Lamberto to tell him the bad news that a legitimate business deal involving the Vatican Bank had gone bad. The bank is run by the Archbishop and Coalition of Catholic Businessmen. The Cardinal listens to the Godfather, and the Cardinal says something quite profound. He picks up a stone and says, look at this stone. It's been lying in the water for a very long time. The water has not penetrated it. Then he smashes the stone and says, look, peering at the smashed stone, inside of the stone is perfectly dry. The same thing, the cardinal says, has happened to men in Europe. They have been surrounded by Christianity for centuries, but Christ does not live in their hearts. 
Just like that rock in the water, it can look like it is saturated with water. We as Christians can look like we are Christians, do all the things to be seen and shown, but have no relational connection with God, Christ, or the Holy Spirit. We don't want to get to God's kingdom, and we are dry on the inside just like that stone. Prayer is relational. Praying for others is relational. So through our prayer time this week, remember, we gave you homework every day. We want to get closer to God so that we can be closer to one another and know without a shadow of a doubt that God exists in the world because we are spending our time. So now let us go into the world and pray with joy, with openness, with sadness, bringing all of who we are to share with God who will transform us. Gloria a Dios. Amen.